Hi, I'm Shane Fatek, and you're listening to Making Marketing by Digiday. Every week, I talk to executives who are changing the playbook for the industry one decision at a time. Some of the most interesting DTC brands out there had or have Gin Lane behind them. The agency was behind the creative chops for companies like Harry's and Hymns. And in August, it did something which I found so interesting and that it rebranded to Pattern, which is now trying its hand at making, building, and growing its own brands. Emmett Shine is the co-founder there, and I'm so excited to have him on today's episode. Hi, Emmett. Hey, Shereen. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you. Okay. First things first. So you launched Equal Parts, which is sort of your first product line under pattern, and it's created as this direct-with-consumer model. It makes cookware and kitchenware. And the idea there is that you're going to be using customer feedback to make the product, and then you'll see what comes next. Tell us a little bit more about sort of why that started and what you're going to do with it next. Yeah, cool. So as you mentioned, this summer we announced that we were transitioning um, of Gin Lane, which was uh, an agency working with, you know, mostly startups in the consumer-centric space to um, building our own brands under this central mission of, uh, you know, trying to help young adults in America better enjoy daily life. And so what that means is trying to provide really alternative activities that are centered around the home Mm. um, that provide kind of buffers to your personal time being really uh, dominated or encroached upon by work or, you know, your screens. And so we don't have anything wrong with work or screens, <laughs> um, but I think our whole premise is intentionality. Um, and, you know, you're at work and sometimes you can be working hard and sometimes you can be, you know, checking something out. And I think there's like a a culture where you know, it's expected you take some of your work home with you. And so, you know, your employer, your, your, yourself, your team, whether you're a freelancer, whether you're a company, you know, you're getting emails, you're getting Slack notifications. It's just a cultural norm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens is it, it kind of eats into your free time mentally that, you know, would maybe more traditionally be protected for having a hobby or spending time with loved ones or just thinking. Um, and then screens are just like, and social media, et cetera. Not, again, it's not bad. I think it's they're great in many ways that we have access to so much information and there's a democratization to what we can do and how we can um, communicate or connect with people. But because it's so easy, it's like a low activation energy, it has taken a lot of our our free time as, mm-hmm. you know, millennials or Gen Z, et cetera, um, especially. And so for Pattern, we're just trying to make um, brands that are under one roof that can again, provide, you know, alternatives that are engaging um, for your free time um, to, you know, really keep you doing something that um, is not necessarily just being on your phone um, And that isn't work. And that isn't work. And so um, cooking uh, at home, which is what really is a central mission, enjoy, you know, enjoy daily life, enjoy cooking, enjoy home cooking for equal parts, um, it's really interesting. It's kind of like this Trojan horse area where um, it isn't just like, you know, make cool food and, you know, take a photograph of it. It, It's like uh, how there's like super fruit or something that have all these like antioxidants or whatever. Basically, like getting a flow state by doing something is super important and super healthy and super nice. But it, you got to go work out. You got to be super intensely into something at work. You're rock climbing, you're surfing or whatever these crazy things are. But cooking is a really easy way to access a flow state on like a daily basis. Um, Cooking at home is, 
you know, five times uh, less expensive than consistently ordering out, which a lot of young people in cities, um, again, right. it's not that ordering food is bad, but as a default, maybe it's off balanced. Um, it's healthier for you. Um, and then there's also this notion of like, for pattern, we have this like, um, you know, 10 steps for daily enjoyment. And, you know, the first one is, you know, make your bed in the morning, right? It's like, a classic thing I where I remember seeing that yeah, actually. You know, and and I was like, oh, some gosh. people agree, some people don't, <laughs> and it's fine. But re- really what it stands for is like start your day off with a small victory. Right. You know, so you don't have to make your bed. It's just boiling that down to a suggestion of, hey, when you get up, you know, don't just reach for your phone. Try to find something that you can do as an alternative. Right. Because you'll find that your mental state will be a little bit better if you give yourself some buffer time. So this is I mean, this is I mean what you're describing, and it, it sounds lovely. This sounds like the idea, the ideal life, really. But is the thesis behind everything pattern will do going forward, right? Like the brands that you're going to make and build and grow and pioneer are all going to fit within this world of let's help people live life better. Yeah, I mean, I think we. So if people are familiar with Jin Lane or they're not, you know. We, we did our thing for 10 years plus. We got to work with some really awesome brands and also learn a lot. I think that, you know, especially in New York, the the quote-unquote playbook for, you know, D2C, your digitally native, vertically integrated brands, you know, there there is somewhat of like a, a myopic nature or a little bubble to it. But I think if you take a step back, it it is really influencing how consumer businesses are operating the world over. I think if you look at the 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 recent 200 of the largest, you know, executives talking about, you know, shareholder value, et cetera. Like these are big changes that I do really think that some of the small brands that have done very well are, are changing. And they're also uh, changing to adapt to new consumer expectations. I think people want to buy into brands that are not only more representative of their values, but I think what we're trying to do is just be part of the next generation of brands that, can help people out a little bit more than just a transaction. So I think right. people have tribalism of finding affinity through brands that they think represent their values because, again, we all live in cities. We don't as much go to church. We don't have as many organized civic things that we do. You could have grown up in rural or suburban or in another mm-hmm. country or wherever it is, and here we all are living mostly in cities, and the idiom of, like, there's nowhere lonelier than in a big city, you know, and I think a lot of people try going to workout classes or, you know, maybe reading books with other people or going to, you know, running clubs or... They try to find their tribes. You try to find your tribes. Right. right? And brands have become, and that's so brands interesting that you said... the tribes. Right. And I think that's, what, and you know, what, what you were talking about earlier with the sort of the business roundtable of, you know, which came mm-hmm. out with a statement a little while ago and said, okay, for a long time, we've operated on the principle that we are, we are creating brands that are about the people that are the shareholders. Mm-hmm. But if that no longer applies. Yes, shareholders are important, but consumers are important. How we make the stuff is important. How we sell the stuff, the impact we have in the environment is important. And the role we play is important. And you mentioned earlier sort of, yeah, you helped build and create a bunch of really, really important brands in the last 10 years as Gin Lane. And you said sort of one thing that I found interesting, which is you learned that seems to be like a central point of what you've sort of learned and figured out along the way, that brands can't just be purveyors of goods. They have to be more than that. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is good. So a few things, like we, 
we said like direct with consumer, meaning we're trying to build relationships post-purchase. And so a lot of when you transact with the brand, you can love what they represent and you buy their product or their service. But generally, you don't really have a relationship with them after that transaction. You know, there's not that many brands that that have that. It's because a, there's the, there hasn't been an economical reason to. You yeah, got the it, money. Exactly. And so we can bounce around a little bit. It's podcast sure. will have fun. But like Milton Friedman style, like 70s, it's like, you know, a, a corporation's responsibility is to return value to the shareholder. And that's it. It's like libertarian style. It's like, sure. you know, then the people can do what they want with that money. But I think more and more, it's like instead of a bottom line, it's triple bottom line. You know, you want to you want to be focused on the environment. You want to be focused on the community. You want to be focused on your culture, your consumer. I think I just try thinking of brands as like people. And who do you as an adult want to be friends with? You want to be friends with that. people that share similar values to you and make you feel better about yourself. That is a, a good relationship. There are not good relationships, which is another conversation for another time. But if you're choosing your adult friends, it's not Dorothy down the street that your mom made you play with when you're two, you're making a conscious decision in your 20s or 30s or, you know, beyond to stay in contact with someone. I think for brands, the 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 IQ and the EQ is being expected to be raised. And so that's why for equal parts, it isn't just selling cookware, which is cool. You know, I think we have cool cookware. There's a lot of thoughtfulness to how we designed it's it. It's a good product and people are buying it. Yeah. Okay. And then the... The other part is there's coaching. And so there are multiple coaches that we've selected that help form habits with people that are either seeking to cook more or build a healthier relationship per whatever their desired goal is as it relates to home cooking. And that's something that we tested out Mm -hmm. over a year, which I think comes back to this model that we're, you know, experimenting with for pattern is pattern is, is like a It's a a family of brands, so everything is under one roof. And so our goal from a business perspective is to not necessarily go out and get 100 customers. It's to get 10 customers and build a deep relationship with them across key moments of their life that on two parts. One, that pattern doesn't, as a consumer-facing brand itself, doesn't sell anything. It's like a Unilever, Procter Gamble, whatever, but you can have a relationship with it around content, around stuff we're working on for events, for just building um, a reciprocated conversation of what are simple habit-forming tips and anecdotes around finding more daily balance and intentionality. So let's talk a little bit about, I'm going to use a terrible marketing word, and it's KPIs, but mm-hmm. but let's talk a little bit about how you know something like this works. Because I think what you're describing, and you're right, sort of the Milton Friedman school mm-hmm. of how businesses operate seems to be, that play, playbook seems to be changing. It's and, 20th century. Right. It's complete, And we're in 2019, almost 2020. And, okay, so then the, the old playbook of also measuring how things worked and how businesses operate also has to change. So the first one is, look, sales are important. You're obviously mm-hmm. going to have to make some money. Yeah. So are you actually managing to sell, in this case, the cookware, which you've started with? What else are you then measuring to mm-hmm. make sure that this is successful? Because you talked about coaching. You talked about content. You talked about yeah. events. And there's going to be other brands. What other sort of KPIs can we now begin to experiment with and almost invent to make sure that in this new world we know it's working yeah for sure like um so you know again we're not saying social media is bad i think it's just like food isn't bad sugar isn't bad but there are labels on food 
you know, it's like, hey, maybe you should be conscious of how much sugar is in this or what's the alcohol content for this nice bottle of wine. And so Pattern is on Instagram. We're on Twitter. But we have office hours, quote unquote, where it's, you know, three to five on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so there's an intentionality of when we're putting forth content that hopefully people can interact with and enjoy that are really not trying to suck you in. They're trying to actually provide inspiration to get off. And the KPIs, to your question, for social media are saves and shares. So we're not um, focused on trying to get, you know, a lot of likes or a lot of comments. If if it happens, whatever. But we're looking at uh, using just as any business would analytical tools, um, what posts get the most saves and what get the most shares because there's more of an intentionality to someone saying, okay, this is something I want to save or this is something I want to share with someone else. So. And it's almost, and that's again goes back. So it's almost post purchase too, because mm-hmm. that can exist once they've bought the specific type of cookware or yeah. whatever at this point they bought. What is kind of the idea for the, sort of the customer model here? Because I'm interested in what you said earlier about being with people at their various milestones in their life. Um, so maybe they come, they buy something at this right now from equal parts. Um, you're trying to stay engaged with them and in touch with them after they've actually given you their money. Is the idea for them to then come back to equal parts over time or is the idea for them to move through the pattern family of brands and then stay with you as a pattern customer versus just a equal parts customer? Yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head and I guess to try to answer further your KPI question from a business perspective, I think, and I'm, for people listening, I'm less the business guy, I'm more creative guy. <laughs> I was going to ask a little yeah. bit more about that later. Yeah, but... Uh, customer lifetime value, that, that's our goal. And the other nerdy term is cross-brand retention. So those, those are our, our two real things we're focused on. So we're trying to, basically for Gin Lane, we kind of marketed to ourselves for 10 years. You know, like one of the first brands we worked with was Seamless, I still call them Seamless Web. I know. still call them <laughs> Seamless Web. And yeah. now they're a verb. Have you uh-huh. noticed that? Yeah. And then midway through, you know, a, a big project engagement client partner was was Sweetgreen. We worked with Sweetgreen for half a decade building out, you know, so much of the technology for ordering and infrastructure and the UX and the applications and the web apps. And then five years plus later, we're now doing a home cooking brand. So it's almost like if you look at that transition of like, you know, working with ordering food in our early kind of 20s, working with more thoughtful, quote unquote, fast casual in our later, you know, 20s and then in our early mid 30s trying to really center around, you know, being more at home and home cooking. And so I think we've I just say that as a metaphor of like I think we've always marketed to ourselves where we're at in our lives and that's just what we're trying to do with Pattern is just uh help make brands that us and our team as young adults, our teams are from their mid 20s into their mid 40s and you know, we're clustered together going through these life moments. Your parents are getting older. You're, you're coupling up. You're moving in with a significant other. You have a pet. You have a child. You know, you're trying to think what, where you're going with your professional career. You're trying to think personally, what do you want this next chapter of your life to be? It's, it's a big period of change. And so I think just taking a step back, pattern for us was we were feeling just burned out and stressed out. And it wasn't because just of work or whatever. It was just, I think, societally, for a lot of young Americans now, it's just stressful. It's just a stressful time. There's too much information. There's not, 
you can look at, you know, oh, the the employment level is so high, the GDP is good. But and yet everyone's really anxious. Well, it's also like, what are those jobs and where is the stability? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think there's underneath it a lot of interesting stuff that like it's hard to understand history when you're living in it. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I think I'm fascinated by this idea. So people are subscribing to, in a way, the the pattern life, whatever that means. And you're going to be looking at the success of your business by looking at how much that you're retaining customers within those brands, cross brand retention, they're obviously their lifetime value, but also it's not about equal parts right now. It's about subscribe to our way of life and our way of thinking because we're actually trying to be with you at your life stage. Yeah, again, that's a new type of holding company approach, though. That's very interesting. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, again, for for home cooking, it's like, this is what worked for us. That we like tried a lot of stuff out. What actually made our team and our friends and our family who are across the US, it's not just Manhattan or New York, you know, how many how many nights a week are you cooking? Okay. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel your relationship with cooking is? You know, it's like, oh I'm cooking, you know, two nights a week, three nights a week. And, you know, honestly, some people like it, but a lot of people are like, it's something I just try to do, it saves money, sure. it makes me feel better, whatever. And so th- the coaching is what has been really unique of making people not just cook more, but have a more enjoyable relationship with cooking, which, again, if you take a step back, I think is something that we feel is important for our generation who have, who cook like three times less than our parents. Right. You yeah. know, and it's it's something that is just inherently positive back to the small victories. It, it makes you feel good to cook for yourself or for someone else. And I don't think talking about performance grade crazy this, mm-hmm. you know, or top-down, super pretty photographs that are meant for Instagram, it it doesn't solve what I think is an issue. I think cooking is, there's so many of these areas that are not quote-unquote productive in our lives that we've offloaded to just be productive to the umpteenth degree. And where does it take you? It doesn't make us happier. Right. You know, it's like there's an article in The Atlantic recently on like meritocracy, and the failures of meritocracy. And it was talking about, like, you know, men in America that are, like, these alpha high-earning, went to the good school, and they work at some law real estate firm or whatever, and they earn high six figures plus. They are, like, the alpha dogs, like, again, 20th century style, but in the 21st century that have made it, they're a wreck. They're the most unhappiest people in America. They're workaholically, destructively unhappy. And so Are you going to measure customer happiness? That's a KPI <laughs> yeah. worth measuring. Well, so w- we were careful about happiness versus enjoyment. Mm. And so it happy. it's like you have like happiness is something that I, I wish I could be smarter of remembering stuff on it. But basically like people will say they are happier than they are because no one wants to say they're not happy, you know. And, and we thought a lot about words and semantics. And so there's fulfillment, but we didn't. Hmm. want to come out and sound sound too new age wellnessy and so enjoyment we we also talked a lot about like the the difference between doing and being mm-hmm. and coming from 20th century early 21st century ideals around you know hashtag hustle and everything is doing this and doing that and you've always got to be doing and so what we thought could be like a way to communicate to ourselves and maybe some people a little bit younger as well is try to find being through doing. So we're not going straight to being, which is like Zen Buddhism style, which mm-hmm. is awesome, 
But that's not the business you're in. And it also, I think, for an American, you have to know your audience. And I think for Americans, just overemphasizing being, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think when you see some of the appropriations of other cultures around the world and what their notions of, like, what it means to be is, and then appropriating them somewhat into the U.S. You have to get to the doing and then use that as a channel. We're trying to find ways clean up your house, cook, you know, fix things around and find your flow states, find healthy moments of engagement that are not gravitationally sucking you into your phone or thinking about work all the time. Here, I, I'm really interested because earlier you said this, but, you know, you're the ECD, you're a creative person. And I'm curious about sort of, you know, moving from kind of agency work and you're still obviously doing lots of creative things, but you are sort of, you know, co-running a business now. What's changed in terms of how you're thinking about thinking about this? Because suddenly it's not it's not about your clients, which yes, clients are important. Now this is this is on you. This is your checks and balances. This is your bank balance. I mean, and some of that is a good thing because I, I remember when we covered kind of the launch of Pattern, and you'd said that you know we were building all these brands, and we're like, well, why 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 don't we just build them ourselves instead of building them for other people? That comes with goods and bads. What's been surprising. Totally. I, I think it's a, an awesome kind of crux of it question. Um, I, I think uh, <laughs> the speed um, of information has been the most surprising. I think you, I ran a business with a t-shirt skateboarding company with my childhood friends before Jin Lane, which was like 18 to 24. So it was like little kid style, but I, I, I do have some muscle memory of running. <laughs> like I built the web shop. We had a store, you know, we were we're selling a lot of stuff, but it, it wasn't at the scale of the businesses we've helped build or that we're trying to build. And so my muscles or muscle memory of more agency side, um, you know, we're, we've been super involved from the beginning of helping to, to form and create these brands. But the when they launch the data that flies in, hmm. it goes to the operating team first. And then usually we're handed it as a brief of saying, okay, cool, we're seeing that this is working on the website. We're seeing that this isn't working on the website. These, you know, ads are working well or, you know, this earned area is doing great or this is what the community is kind of saying. What do you guys think? And so there's always like a layer of filtration. Hmm. And so I I would say, you know, having a a bit of a a newfound form of like refinding empathy for like my entrepreneur friends (laughs) and the ones we work with, there's no filter. There's no filter. And so... Which is good and bad. It's good and bad. And I'll just say, like, you know, I've, like, gotten into, like, more Twitter arguments in, like, the last month where, like, you know, people are like, yo, Emmett, shut up. You know, and, like, (laughs) usually before, if someone was saying something about Sweetgreen or Everlane or Hymns or whatever, I can kind of just fly in and say my two cents and just, like, Mm. quote, unquote, protect, you know, people who I'm like, no, this is what they're thinking or whatever. And it's nice because it's not my company I'm saying that. But it's different when it is your brand you you it's you i think one you're more sensitive to it you know and then the other part is that like you have to also be more accepting and i think that's something i'm more learning as someone who is like a spirited debater (laughs) you know the dtc and slash dnvb twitter community isn't isn't shy there no i i I love it thread life community that like just lives on arguments yeah and i love it i i think it's just and i respect it's not always you have to agree to people. It's just like, yo, this is what I was thinking. Or, this is what we were thinking. And then the other part is just like, you know, for equal parts, when we launched it, there's 
stuff that's amazing that's working. There's stuff that we got to fix. There's stuff that we knew would be amazing, and there's stuff that we knew we had to fix. There's stuff that we thought we had to figure it out and we have to fix or stuff that we weren't sure about that has been amazing. Well, it's, it's also unclear because, you know, can can a business who's for so long done basically agency work, yeah. then suddenly you have to add a bunch of things to that business. You have to then add inventory management. You have mm-hmm. to add logistics, which to your point earlier, maybe was filtered out when you were doing it for someone else. Yeah. What part of like, I guess we'll call it the sort of unsexy, like operational stuff, which now you guys have to do, yeah. um, was the hardest? At least when launching equal parts. Yeah. I, again, I think, you know, the diff- sympathy and empathy and I'm someone who likes being through doing. So I like doing, I like building stuff. I like, you know, uh, companies and projects are, are, are fun. I like challenges. I like being stimulated. And I think we, we didn't need to do pattern from, you know, this better work, you know, it was like, okay, like June Lane's been awesome. I think we're feeling some way why don't we just try to, you know, nerdy be the change we want to see? We think we think there can be pushing the envelope for what, you know, digital-based consumer brands can do. Why don't we try this out? Why don't we try to do, you know, post-purchase, build a relationship, build a series of brands that are under one roof and are related to each other? And so, to your point, in order to do that, we've had to, you know, enter into the global supply chain, you know, uh, you know, Bring on business intelligence, growth and acquisition. Um, number one, like, it's not that we're making complex hardware, but the phrase hardware is hard is true. You know, there's mm. bits and atoms. And I think, um, you know, I feel very comfortable. I actually think like a few years ago we were custom building websites because that's what was needed. Now you can spin something up on Shopify and get it to a really good place, you know, pretty fast. I would say similarly about the non-complex um, global supply chain for products. It, it has matured so much in the last few years. And you could look at, you know, businesses like Lumi or Anvil, et cetera, industrial design firms, you know, uh, business, you know, mechanical engineering, DevOps teams. Um, so I, I feel good about where we're at with that. I think what has been challenging or interesting is there isn't as much of like a cultural understanding or emphasis on like responsibility. So Meaning, like people would say sustainability, but I like Patagonia and they're kind of like, yo, none of this is really sustainable. We're just trying to do the best we can do with what we can do. And so I subscribe to that. And so when we were just an agency, our carbon footprint is so small. We have a few people in an office in New York and Chinatown and we use computers and that's it. Right. But now we're, you know, extracting materials. We're having manufacturing processes. We're transporting goods. We're shipping goods, you know, and so we've tried to invest a lot of having, you know, cradle to cradle, like an independent third party help audit uh, the, the the processes and the materials we're using or speaking to, you know, some of the supply chains for some of the companies around us that we work with that we admire. Um, but again, I, I feel it's like there isn't as much of a, it's not, it's like labels on the back of food, how I was saying for like screens, there isn't as much of like I feel like labels on the back of boxes or products for setting cultural standards for what things should be. You kind of just have to do that yourself if that's what you believe in. Right. And so that's been hard. Our team believes in it, but getting all supply chain partners, et cetera, um, trying to ascertain what are, where are your lines in the sand um, a- across the board has been uh, pretty interesting. Here, here's my question for you. I think a lot of people talk about sort of, you know, DTC 
DNVB again, the industry has challenges, and everyone's like, oh, CAC's rising, and yeah. figuring out lifetime value. And everyone knows those challenges. If, if I said sort of, what are the challenges that people don't know or think about? They're not discussed in the media. They're maybe, again, those unsexy, like, figuring out a content calendar, mm-hmm. figuring out how to do this stuff, getting a checklist for a customer email journey. You've seen it on both yeah. sides. So I'm almost asking you to now take off your, like, pattern yeah. hat. What what are the challenges that these DTC brands, as they're building, you know, and some of them are very small, some of them are now enormous yeah. billion-dollar companies, what are the things that they sort of, people just don't think about when it comes to the, the real nitty-gritty challenges? I, I think an interesting theme that I like think about a lot is like like man versus machine or qualitative versus quantitative. Um, in that, I think a challenge is there's so much data now, and that's what what I was kind of saying. I, I think also like a lot of, anxiety that we have is because we have too much information it's like Mm. our brain you know it's biologically the same as it's been for a long time but we didn't have an endless faucet of information hitting us at Mm. all times and i think i'll kind of oscillate a little bit here but i think like stuff that is negative or you know scary or whatever it reverberates and that's why like breaking news or drudge report stuff. It's just, it feels like the world is burning down every day because we now know what's happening in Nairobi and what's happening in Wisconsin and what's happening in Chile and what's happening in Ukraine every second of every day. And so crazy stories or crazy information rise to the top as signals. It's hard to filter through that. And that's why I think some of the ways in which social media and stuff were were designed and built, it it's too much. And so I would say the same to get back to your question. Yeah. On, the same thing happened with brands because you have all well, this data now. You have so much data. And that's what I was saying of moving from an like an agency where we're close, but if there's a fil- filter to running, there's, n- there's no filter. And so you have to, it's like you have to impose discipline on yourselves about two things, signal and noise, but also like taking a deep breath and saying, chicken little, like the sky is not falling. Right. So it's like you can turn off the news and like go for a walk and just like let the trees rustle and feel like the wind and you'll feel better. And I think the same that is is hard for running, you know, a direct to consumer brand. There's so much information coming in that you can be very reactive and you can also feel like you have to respond to every single thing or you have to answer this or fix this. And it it can be very exhausting. And I think, again, it's trying to impose a new cultural playbook of like, hey, it's okay to not have to, you know, respond to this on social media or CX mm. at 11.30 p.m. on a Saturday just because, you know, the data says that this type of typography or ad would convert better. Maybe we don't do that because that doesn't align with how we want to present ourselves. Oh, this copy, you know, it's like Google Marissa Meyer style. It's like 42 you know, uh, shades of blue A-B testing. It's like, and then Google's more moved to uh, more of a design-centric model. And you look at Airbnb or Dropbox, et cetera, that that are technology-centric, design-centric businesses. And I think that's where there's the qualitative, quantitative tension, art and science, of when do you lean in on what feels right Hmm. and when do you look at what the data says. And I think we're in a cyclical new version or whatever the past five, 10 years of how to deal with an endless array of algorithmic suggestions and data of what you should do. But if you keep doing what it says you should do, 
it doesn't differentiate. Well, then everything's going to start looking the every, same. Well, and that's what you see happening, you know? So I think that's an interesting thing of where do you push and where do you pull from? That's a great way to think about sort of the differentiate because one thing I always ask, you know, guests on this podcast is there's a lot of new brands. Mm-hmm. Like, and they all do start blending because there's competition in every category right now. Well, you and can get to 80% so fast. You can bootstrap this. You can use Squarespace for that. You can use this type kit for that. You can use these design template programs for that. And they're all based on best practices, which, again, it's, to not, it's not to be cynical. It's good in many ways. It democratizes. It would cost, think about how much money and time it would cost to spin up a business 10, 20 years ago. Now, you mentioned Shopify earlier. Mm -hmm. You've got these tools, but then you mentioned 80%. It's Mm -hmm. the 20%. Because at some point, the bubble has to, I mean, we have, someone is going to rise to the top. We Mm -hmm. cannot live in a period in which, you know, new brand is launched every day in every single category. It's impossible. Yeah. And that's the differentiation. Amazing. So take a deep breath. That's what I've taken away from this. Emmett, thank you so much for being on this episode of Making Marketing. And thank you for listening. Our producer is Pierre BNMA. If you like the show, please head to your iTunes store, search for our show, leave us a review and a rating. It helps new listeners find us. Thanks again for listening. Thanks.